Welcome to the Empire Files podcast. This is Abby Martin. This is the audio version of each episode of the Empire Files hosted on Telesaur English. You can watch every episode at theempirefiles.tv. We love you. You are special. We're here to take care. It's going well. And I want to thank you for coming out. Thank you, everybody. What a crowd. What a turnout. I will tell you, this is historic. It's epic what happened. But you know what? It happened in Texas, and Texas can handle anything. Trump famously bragged about his crowd size while touring disaster struck Houston and gave himself an A-plus for the government's response to Hurricane Harvey. But when I was in Houston one month after the historic storm, I saw entire neighborhoods where people were living in gutted out, moldy homes. Residents who I spoke to told me that they were denied all aid, despite Congress authorizing $15 billion for Harvey victims. So how is the void filled when these relief institutions are clearly failing millions of Texans? With volunteers, thousands of them, who spontaneously came to help. To learn more, I sat down with Scott Crow, anarchist co-founder of the Common Ground Collective. Let's talk about Hurricane Harvey. Uh, we're in Houston right now. What are some of the actions that decentralized groups um, have done with disaster relief here in the aftermath of the hurricane? Well, basically rebuilding civil society from the search and rescue at the, in the immediate aftermath, um, even getting ready before that, um, and then, then moving to uh, the rebuilding phases. And So you had a disaster response, and then, and then you moved to the rebuilding. So people have been at all levels. They've been running clinics. They've been doing food distribution, the, the basic things to help people get a leg back up again. Um, and then additionally, one of the things they've been doing is they've been using these solidarity networks that have been built around the country after Hurricane Katrina, and so a lot of supplies and people and resources have been coming in to help those who have been uh, kind of forgotten about in the larger equation. People who may be hearing this may be confused about how it actually works to have um, decentralized efforts actually coordinating and, and distributing things. I mean, just talk more specifically about how it actually works on the ground. Well, there's two models. There's the there's the Red Cross giant corporate uh, nonprofit model, uh, which you know the Red Cross specifically actually acts as an arm of the of the United States uh, government. A lot of times, it has to do with um, immediate aid, and then. Um, and then it's followed by getting businesses back up and running. So their triage is actually to get business back up and running again. That's the main thing. So that's one model. Then the other one is the decentralized model, which actually what people do, instead of relying on them for authority or governments on authority to do that, they actually say, they go to the communities and start to ask them, what is it that you need? Or they can see what the need is on the ground. Or because of social media, they can see that where efforts are needed. And they just go and then begin to, to, to distribute relief or to provide medical attention or food security, whatever is needed at that time. Centralized efforts are not there to bolster the corporate model or the state model. They're actually there to build autonomy and resilience for those people who are affected by it in those communities, whether it's neighborhood by neighborhood or it's whole communities. So they can build their power. And, and it's, it's a different mindset, actually, that comes to it, where it's not like you just come in and you say, I am greater than you and I'm going to save you. It's like, oh my gosh, I see this is happening. We want to help you and we have these resources. Let's work together to build your life. That's a totally different mindset than somebody says, we have all these resources. You're going to do exactly what we say. To see how this works, I met with one group who came from out of state. Natalie and Michael have been driving around Houston in this van, 
doing direct action in the hardest hit communities. I met them in a Lakewood parking lot and spent the day with them distributing supplies they collected. So Natalie, how did you and Michael come together and form this autonomous group? Well, Michael and I have been friends on just Facebook. We found each other just through different groups that we are, have like, you know, in common. My friends and family, I just see them on Facebook. As this thing is unfolding, you know, showing us videos and, and just talking about what they're experiencing, flooding and just everything. They're just losing everything right in front of us. And so a girlfriend of mine that's also from here, um, but we just were messaging like, yeah, we need to do this. Like, let's get together. Let's, let's start a group. Let's do a fundraiser. Let's try to organize supplies. And everything just kind of fell into place after that. So people have been actually donating to just different, various small grassroots organizations and, and groups. And people have been donating. And I'm talking about thousands of dollars. I remember one day we woke up and we were uh, coming here hauling ass. We have an RV that is is inverted because it's so heavy and packed with shit that people have already donated because we, what we call scribe, put our right on the windows what we're doing. And people are walking up to the car, here's $50, $5, and we're just like, oh my God, people really did come out for this. And I'm not gonna bash, I'm not gonna sit here and bash the, the, you know, the service sector, the so-called service sector. I'm just gonna say the people were called upon this time and the people responded and the people are not getting paid to. I asked Natalie what we were on our way to do. We picked up just some basic stuff. We're gonna go out there and see if people need water, socks, just some basic things. Um, and also find out who might need what, you know, and what other needs that, that, that they might have. We don't wanna just see the city be rebuilt. We don't wanna see things just go back to square one. We want to see the people who were in need even before this devastation. Um, that they also get help. It's not okay that we have a lot of empty homes and, and people living on the street. Nobody's coming out to tell them. I'm, I'm walking up to random people who are outside of their homes. I'm like, has anybody told you when you guys are gonna have regular trash pickup? When are you gonna have regular trash pickup? When are you, when have they told you when you're gonna have people come in for your walls and your, these are apartment complexes. And they say, we haven't been told anything. And this is, after a week after the after the floods have receded and stuff like that when you look at the we talk to the families they they don't know they they don't know what's going on so they don't even know what to do with themselves and they're huddled in their homes and they have no power and they're in need of mattresses these are some of the things i've heard mattresses um, diapers, which we have, uh, we've been giving out a lot of this stuff. So what happens if you lose your home? Like you're, you're living in this neighborhood, you lose your home, you're probably, if you're living here, maybe undocumented or, or immigrant or minority community, what assistance did they have? What steps can you take to get any sort of... I don't think anybody is sure other than um, trying to link up with an individual or you know a group that's established themselves through this whole thing. Um, because the majority of the people that are out here are just people. On the outskirts of Houston, I visited the Altruist Relief Kitchen, another traveling group that provides basic necessities to people in emergency situations. Lucid, tell us about uh, the community, how you guys got together, and why you're here in Houston. So Altruist Relief Kitchen is a grassroots field kitchen providing emergency free hot meals to the people affected by the hurricane. So we're kind of responding to this uh, environmental chaos that's being put forth by these terrible policies and we're like cleaning up some of the symptoms on the side. Mm -hmm. 
And how does it work? How, how do different people come together and actually distribute food in mass like this? Well, we're actually from all over the country. Each one of us is probably from a different state and we just come together. We've been traveling around for uh, a few years, some of us. Uh, I was in Syrian refugee camps just uh, earlier this year with my girlfriend and we uh, responded to uh, Standing Rock. We were uh, responding to other floods last year. So wherever there seems to be a need for activism, for awareness, for uh, just grassroots serving of meals, we try to show up. And how long have you guys been here? How long are you planning to stay here? So we've uh, been bouncing around. We're, we've been set up in this new location for about a week, but we've been feeding here for about three weeks in Houston. Um, but we're, we're planning to stay as long as the, the resources and the need is here. So it could be uh, months while people are rebuilding their communities because a lot of the people here don't have the financial resources to rebuild quickly. And so by alleviating that financial burden of meals, we're able to kind of like reduce that stress for them. Millions of Americans would look at you guys and say, you're crazy. Um, people should just work harder to feed themselves. Food is not a human right. Health is not a human right. What's your response to those people? Oh man, um, well the way that the, this, this society has been set up, it's like a, a global civilization that's parasitizing the poorest people and the ecosystem to create this monstrosity, this death machine. And the people that fall through the cracks, the people that are either born into poverty or that don't have the weight of getting proper documentation, they're, the, they're holding this thing up through uh, essentially slavery. And they're the ones that are neglected in the social programs that this global civilization is putting out anyway. So uh, it's easy to forget about the people born into abject poverty because you can stay on the highways and avoid them. But the, the majority of this planet is the people that are born into slavery that are maintaining the illusion of stability within civilization. And so we're addressing that need by going directly to the poorest places. And still, you've dedicated your life, so many of you guys have dedicated your life to doing this. Why? Why are you doing this when you could be traveling around the world, going on vacation? Why do this, Lucid? Well, this, there's, there's one aspect here where we are, we're providing free hot meals for people. We're trying to alleviate that financial burden. But there's this other aspect where we are uh, showing, we're creating this demonstration of how to be beneficial. We are like motivating people to want to be beneficial and to want to engage in this global civilization and create positive change. But then we're trying to provide some sort of a concrete mechanism for them to go about that. So it's, it's more than just providing meals temporarily in this place. We're trying to show that it's possible for individual people with very little resources to engage in such a way that you really can create lasting change. I also spoke to Nisi of the Dallas-based Black Women's Defense League, an organization that assists underserved communities of color, particularly Black and trans women. I first asked Nisi what barriers she's encountered that prevents people from getting aid. There are people who have child sex trafficking um, cases or things like that because they were sex trafficked and that same person um, would be ineligible to stay in some of like the Red Cross or FEMA shelters um, that exist um, and so we try to provide resources past that um, and try to move into areas where people aren't looking um, and make sure that everybody is okay and we work with black women specifically with families of people um, and provide resources with really without all of like the paperwork I think that when you provide direct aid people ask all the time they're just like well 
how do I know that my funding or my donation is going to go to the right person if I don't give it to like this massive organization? And the quickest way for you to get it to the right person is for you to hand it to them. Talk about the projects, this decentralized effort, um, and different initiatives that you've taken already around the city working with these people. So something that we're working on um, here recently has been a work program. There's lots of houses that need gutting. There's lots of people who need triaging, which is basically we're going through communities, assessing needs, putting it into a graph form so that as we do get additional help coming through, that we have a clear pathway to get that help to the direct, to the people who are needing it. Um, and so we've been offering opportunities for folks who are looking for jobs, looking for work, people whose workplaces were flooded or they're in some situation otherwise we go around all the time and people ask us, they're like who are you with what what's your organ I'm just like black women's defense league I guess you know but it's just like it seems very odd that like someone would go out of their way to do something for someone without being signed off by some capitalist institution um, we're also just going and finding people who don't like elderly people who don't who wouldn't be able to fix their homes otherwise making sure that they have crews come in. We've been doing a revolutionary rebuild of Houston, but we have people come out over the weekend, medics, counselors, construction worker people, people to distribute goods and food. That's another project that we're working on, which is kind of building propaganda campaigns, letting people know and get knowledge about their home values, letting them know not to sell, and working to make sure that we're able to assist them with the needs that they have that might lead them to sell. We're already starting to see the we buy ugly home signs popping up we'll buy your house really quick three-day process has a nice little friendly 1-800 number on it but that's how gentrification occurs these companies buy up houses house after house after house on a block and all of a sudden two years later you have a Starbucks there this happened during Katrina in Louisiana and so we're aware of it um, and we're working to eliminate that as well the city center looks nice you know, they've cleaned up all of the big banks and all of these different areas downtown, but when you go off of Homestead, there's apartments where people are still paying rent every day, um, and their apartments look like shanty towns. Like, there's nothing. They're still uh, breathing in mold and all types of other different things, and so it's just not over with, um, and we have to make sure that we continue to shine that light in those areas that um, they want to keep dark. Why do you have to do this? Why has have these institutions failed so miserably and the government? I mean, this is insane. I think that trauma that happens within capitalist uh, societies is a little different. It's because you are always constantly expected to provide for self. And in a moment where no one can provide for self, that's when we start to get into more communi communistic you know, ways of living, but it's also a lot easier to kind of exist in that way. And so I'm I'm doing this because I know that we have to. You know, I know that there will be no other help coming. And so it's not because I think I'm a superhero or that I got like some type of calling or whatever. It's literally because there's nobody else who's coming. And you have said disasters reveal the failure of capitalism and governments more than anything else. And talk about why. Well, because and if, if there's anything else that happens, like it's a localized issue or like an issue around immigration or poverty or things, these are, are scalable to degrees. But, but, but an immediate disaster, whether it's ecological, economic, political, or war, I consider all of those disasters, they begin to show 
that there's nothing, there's nobody there for you. When, when a disaster bears down on you and you lose everything and you see that there's no help coming, to, from anybody except your neighbors, then that, that, that's why it reveals more than that. And then as the, after the disaster pass, passes, you still begin to see in the, the days, then the weeks, and the months, how there is still no support for, for the people that they supposedly are there to, to protect and serve. But there's been a watershed change. I mean, in the 12 years since Katrina, the decentralized disaster relief in Katrina, um, and then you talk about uh, with Harvey and Irma, is that more people are willing to do it now. Like, th that was the amazing thing. You know, disasters not only reveal the failures of capitalism, but they also show the openings that people have where people begin to put their politics and their differences aside, racism and all the things that, all the social ills that, that keep us separated from each other, they put those aside to say, oh, you're somebody who needs water. You're somebody who needs to help with your house. I'll help you do that because we are both in this together. And that's a pretty amazing thing. Scott, 12 years ago, you co-founded a, a group called Common Ground Collective in New Orleans to offer decentralized relief for Katrina victims. Um, how do you think the decentralized response here in Houston compares to that following Katrina? What we added in, in that, that liberatory analysis was two things. We said we would help to build infrastructure that had never existed in communities before and to rebuild infrastructure that had fallen down in the long, slow disasters of capitalism on those communities, healthcare, food security, education, you know, schools were crumbling in, in the Gulf Coast way before the Hurricane Katrina ever came short. And so we added that and then we said we would not work with the government except unless it was mutually beneficial to us in any form. And so we wanted them to leave us alone, basically. And so we began to build clinics. And I'd forgotten that Common Ground, we had 36,000 people come through between 2005 and 2009. And I, and I forgot that they all went back to their communities. All these people who had worked in solidarity networks went back to their communities and began to organize in those communities. And when the next disaster happened, uh, they were there to respond. And so Occupy, you saw this decentralized effort called Occupy. And then Hurricane Sandy comes uh, ashore the eastern coast and those people begin to mobilize and they take the same all of this stuff is being built on the same liberatory foundations and then it just started to happen more and more and so by the time you get to Harvey now people have developed these ideas around decentralized grassroots relief with liberatory elements to it. The countless volunteers from out of city worked with Houston's community leaders who had created their own spontaneous response to Hurricane Harvey. To hear from them, I visited the Shape Center, a hub of grassroots organizing in Houston. They held a town hall organized by P.K. McCary to share their experiences after the storm. I saw so many leaders come together at this time. Uh, Ms. P.K., I mean, she, she called me and she said, Joseph, do your people need food? I said, yes, ma'am, they do. Um, could you? And she said, well, I'll have somebody to call you and they'll be on the way. And I tell you, within an hour, we had people with food uh, who had no food. Um, uh, my, inner, my social media uh, was just full. People were saying, Joseph, we have people at such and such XYZ address. We have senior citizens, a uh, grandmother with four kids, and the, they have four feet of water in their house, and no one is here at all. During this time on social media, it was like this chaos. Mm -hmm recovery system. And I don't say that in a bad way. I mean that in the most positive uh, manner. I'm not talking about government. I'm talking about people. Um, folks were posting, like, maybe it would be like five numbers, right? Call this number, right? This is the uh, 
Naval Guard, whoever, name a group, right? Uh, name a bureaucracy and they'll save you, right? But folks who were calling the numbers, no one could get through. We set up a Google uh, number uh, for folks who needed, if they had some sort of something they needed, you know, uh, we gave that number out. We called it BLM HTX Harvey Hotline. Um, we set up a, <clears throat> a volunteer, a link for volunteers, a link for sort of assessments for folks who needed trouble, I mean, who were in trouble. And what we've done is created a call center. And this call center, what we do is people will call in, whatever their needs are, we try to do our best to address those needs. We're always needing volunteers and so, because we felt that there were gonna be people out there after the initial, there was still gonna be people out here that people may not know about, can't get to, but if they call that number, we can direct them and we try to have different people across uh, the city. Uh, we just finished taking, sending some trucks to Dickerson, uh, which no people realize they, have, they are just totally, they were totally underwater. Uh, and so there are just so many other areas that people aren't aware that people are still struggling. And so with this call center, that allows them to call in and to continue to do, do the work. Many of the residents, they had to take the debris out on their own. And so another lady described to me that, look, you know, there are elderly people here who are incapable of doing this. And then I talked with able-bodied men who were angry, stating that, you know, the, the landlord, the owner is going to get money uh, for this. Insurance money, FEMA money, something. And they expect us to volunteer and help all these people, it's just not right. Uh, to, to speak to the spirit of community, I saw a lot of small churches and organizations uh, out there saying, we're just not gonna let people starve. We're just not gonna let people go without. And there were a number of groups. But then there were other people who were very angry saying a lot of the management in various complexes, they don't want these people on their property at all. And so a lady, she took me to the back and showed me how uh, these people came from Oklahoma, I believe, to donate clothes and, and how, according to her, uh, the property manager just threw them all in a dumpster. And so, you know, I, I, I was just horrified of that. So the people were just out there, you know, digging the clothes out of the dumpster. And she's like, why couldn't this have been better coordinated? You know, why won't they let us... Uh, have the things that the people want us to have. And maybe it's because he's evicted them and he wants them to go, I don't know. I believe that uh, we, as human beings, we can do better. I don't really care what the city doesn't do or the government, I don't, I, not anymore. I think that we have the capability of having our own plan in our communities because everything is local anyway. I'll just say this. I think we're asking sometimes the wrong question. Why isn't the government doing what it needs to do? And I'm going, like, when has the government done what it was supposed to do, except for when people do it? They're the ones that make it happen, you know? Um, you don't request that the d government do X, Y, Z. You demand it. There's no vacation for us, and there's no 401k at the end of our giving. But... I cannot continue buying into the system of Democrats versus Republicans, for instance, and building communities that are having the forces of those developers or those people with greed who don't recognize humanity 
pushing at it, it's tiring and it's toxic. So I don't have all the answers, but I know from day one from Harvey before Harvey started and while Harvey was doing, there were people we were working. Another problem, and you'll see this everywhere uh, among the coast, right? Oil industries, gas towns, it's harder to radicalize communities who are involved in the industry. I think a lot of people who are maybe consciously aware of the negative impacts that their corporation or their job, their livelihood has on the planet and on social structures, um, I think those who are aware of that really do want to create some type of change or be a part of that productiveness uh, to progress the country forward. But, you know, when you have your livelihood based upon that, for some people that's a real struggle. And um, so it gets back to an economic justice issue to where, you know, we need to create a system where people can live on the earth without making such a harmful impact on the earth, you know. We need to be bold and say, um, the system that we have doesn't work. We need to get rid of it. We need to create a decentralized structure and um, really allow the people who are skillful people in these areas of environmental justice, economic justice, war and militarism, to be at the forefront to say, hey, this is how we want to reimagine our way of being, and let's create it together. Thank you for listening to the Empire Files podcast. If you want to subscribe to our mailing list, please sign up at theempirefiles.tv. We want this show to be a resource for those fighting against Empire both here and abroad. Let us know what you think on social media. You can find us on Twitter at Empire Files and Facebook at The Empire Files.